0: Instructive Voices, the podcast for the construction people, with news, views and expert interviews.
1: Hi, I'm Steve Randall and welcome to another of our special podcast episodes featuring the many people that Peter Finn, Pete the Builder and I spoke to at the Footprint Plus event at the start of June. We learned a lot and discovered some fascinating work that's going on to ensure that the construction industry is part of the greener, more sustainable world that we need as we drive towards carbon net zero. If you can't wait to catch up with all our guests from Footprint Plus, have a listen to our online radio stream where you can hear them all. Just visit constructive-voices.com, don't forget the dash, or ask Alexa to launch Constructive Voices. However you listen, with Constructive Voices, the conversation is building.
0: Constructive Voices media partner in Ireland and the United Kingdom is Construction Industry News. Since 2002, construction industry news has been focused on the very latest projects and developments within the UK and Ireland. From
2: the Footprint Plus event in Brighton, UK, to the global construction industry.
0: This is Constructive Voices. Wendy Bishop from Archetype. I'm an associate at the practice based in our London office. archetype uh, uh, architectural practice and um, we've got offices in London Hereford and Edinburgh um, we've been around since 1984 we kind of started with uh, Walter Siegel self-built housing so kind of social sustainability but over the last 12 years or so we've really kind of developed um, skills and, and knowledge of passive um and now more recently benefit projects um, so really delivering environmental sustainability
3: Excellent stuff, so retrofit is obviously a hot topic at the moment and um, I'm a main contractor as well, construction. I've done quite a lot of work myself on uh, old buildings, heritage buildings and I've seen quite a lot of bad work done in terms of wrong products used, um, not allowing buildings breed um, completely against what we would know as conservation uh, practices. Um, How are you finding things along those? Are things improving? Has the sustainability push helped? Um, I feel that it has probably given more information to to people at higher level and then it's filtered its way down to, to actually on site. Um, just give me your, your opinion on that whole thing.
0: So I think it really helps. We're, we're, when we're looking at retrofit now, we're, we're typically using the Enerfit um, standard. So that's the um, the retrofit part of the Passive House standard. And that requires really careful analysis and planning through the design process um, and use of the PHP package, as well as um, using other software to look at thermal bridging and look at moisture movement. So I think that's really key to making sure that whatever materials you're adding to a building to add insulation or airtightness aren't going to be harming that building Um, so I think that's a really helpful process to making sure that we're not causing harm.
2: (laughs) Uh,
3: Absolutely and then we also have to consider when we are retrofitting our buildings we want to make sure that they are you know the carbon footprint of of the building the carbon emissions are coming from the building and you know and the embodied embodied carbon in the construction so we've a lot to, to have in our minds at the moment um, and like are we going in the right direction in your opinion
0: I think the move and certainly I'm hearing it here at the conference today lots of people talking about retrofit and that both the challenge but also you know that's where we need to possibly bringing more of our focus I think um, with a new build it's obviously a lot more straightforward to achieve the sustainability targets but what we, we have this kind of huge challenge of all these existing buildings that we need to look at how we retrofit and I think um, using you know using the benefit process i think is incredibly helpful in doing that in a in a complete way so not only would that be um, reducing the operational energy and therefore carbon emissions which is absolutely critical um, we're also looking at the kind of comfort of those buildings and the, the how people how people are going to feel comfortable being in those buildings um, i think we're also really interested in the embodied carbon of those processes. So the, the project that I've been speaking about at the conference today, the Entopia building in Cambridge, I mean, it's a key part of our brief, not only to deliver the NFIT standard and certification, but also to do that in a way that is as low embodied carbon as possible. So we were tasked with uh, achieving that and also including as many bio-based materials as possible within the project. Um, and that's been really interesting to both measure that quantify that um, and kind of compare it to other benchmarks that are
3: out there excellent stuff that's it's really interesting stuff the, 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 the topic of retrofit um, I, I suppose it, it can be looked at in two ways you've got your kind of um, standard built homes that maybe would have been built in the 60s and 70s and 80s 90s even that are way below in terms of their thermal efficiency and the, uh, the heating systems that they've got but then you have the much older buildings again, and I, I think there needs to be a lot more knowledge to to g- given to people about you know not every building is the same. You know you have to treat a building in a in in a different way than another building. You have to be sympathetic to how the, the construction of the building um, took place from the from from the start. And are you finding that clients are are willing to to work with you in 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 these terms? Normally, when somebody buys. A heritage building they have a love for the building anyway and um, but are you finding that that clients are, are de- definitely coming on board with not only uh, being sympathetic to the building and, it uh, let's say getting it getting it aesthetically back to the way that it formerly was but also in terms of sustainability and energy efficiency
0: absolutely i mean a lot of our clients are local authorities or larger institutions that have maybe an estate um, and obviously they're seeing the need to target net zero and reduce their their carbon impacts um so we've been talking to various clients and looking at um a retrofit strategies um sometimes taking a kind of selection of buildings as you say from lots of different eras because there are many different solutions um and what might work for a A 1930s building like the Antopia building in Cambridge won't work for a 1980s built school up in Scotland. So we've been able, kind of through those feasibility processes, to take a look at a number of buildings for a client um, and show how you might achieve NFIT or something close to NFIT standard or what the steps to get there might be. So that how they might break that down into a number of steps to get to an eventual goal. And I think that's been really, you know, that's coming from the client. So they're really interested in knowing that. Um, and we're really interested in trying to work that out as well.
3: <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, Wendy, last question. Um, obviously, we're here at Footprint Plus. There's so many like-minded people. But the really positive thing that I'm uh, feeling here today is that it's not just sort of everybody from a niche going in a direction that one niche is going in there's there's so many different people f- spread across the whole industry that are here and they are similar minded but they're they're coming to this event with different perspectives and um, what do you think that you've gained out of being at the event and what do you think the event will gain um, with having everybody coming together in one big mental melting pot the way that it has happened
0: I think it's a really exciting event. I mean, it's it's amazing that this is its very first year because it, it feels quite matured. Um, it's It's been a really interesting and diverse mix of people here and speaking. Um, it's been really interesting. I was here yesterday and I'm here today listening to lots of different talks about a very wide range of subjects. I think it's really important because we... To solve these issues, we can't do it individually. We need that diversity of approach um, and of skills. Um, So I'm hoping to kind of come away from this, having met people that we can collaborate with in the future, um, re-meeting some old uh, friendly faces as well um, that we've collaborated with in the past, and kind of, I think, to be re-inspired and hopefully to take that back to archetype and kind of convey that back to my colleagues. And, yeah, hopefully we can we can all produce some more inspirational buildings that we can come and talk about in in other years.
3: (laughs) Excellent. I have no doubt that you will achieve that. Wendy, thank you very much for your time today. Have a great day.
2: From the Footprint Plus event in Brighton, UK, to the global construction industry, this is Constructive
4: Voices.
5: I'm Catherine Dewar from Historic England.
4: I'm David Tomback. I'm Development Economics Director from Historic England.
1: So, I mean, what a fantastic event this has been, Uh, just bringing together so many different people, talking about so many different things. What's been your your big takeaway so far?
5: I think, for me, um, the three days has really brought into focus the... The importance of of, of reusing buildings and the carbon that's embodied in those buildings and of course as Historic England we would say that's important Um, but it's been um, a joy to hear everybody else saying it we've been talking about this haven't we for for years and it's just a joy to hear everybody else uh, recognising the importance of doing that um, for really important reasons.
4: Yes, I echo what Catherine says. Um, historic buildings have been reused for generations, um, but now, more than ever, it's so important that we recognise that buildings just don't need to be demolished. They can be reused um, for so many good reasons, and we produced, a, together with the British Property Federation and the RICS, a publication called Heritage Works, um, and I can recommend your listeners um, having,
1: looking that up because it gives some really good advice. And you're absolutely right. Everybody has been mentioning uh, how we can reuse the fantastic buildings we have. And, I mean, we we do have some amazing buildings. And people absolutely love buildings in a, in a way that, I mean, sometimes if you're from out of town and you go into a town and people say, I, I love that building, and you think, what what do they see in that? <laughs> but but we just do, don't we? Everybody has yeah. buildings in their own town and area that they absolutely love. And we should be preserving those.
5: Yeah. And we know from, from research that we've done that... Um, Uh, retaining historic buildings and and, and keeping our heritage is important for our well-being and we've seen that really importantly over the last couple of years um, when we've been through the pandemic people um, exploring their local area and and discovering buildings that they never knew existed and, and, and finding joy in their local area is really important so we've got to find a way to um, to manage change to buildings, we should not be pickling them. We absolutely need to find pragmatic ways to, to find new uses for, for a lot of these buildings.
4: Yes, I yes, I'll agree with that. We, we, we don't look to preserve, we look to conserve. And it's keeping the best parts of the building, and that's why understanding the building is so important. And for any developers listening... Um, my advice to them is to pay the right price, pay the price that reflects the condition of the building, understand its importance, and understand the real costs of what you're proposing to do. A number of cases I come across where the developers got into problems um, is when they've paid too much for the site or property in the first place.
1: Now, obviously, the the big challenge is that these buildings are are very often inaccessible to, uh, to to many of the things that need to be done, or suddenly easily accessible. So, to, to retrofit is is obviously a big big deal, mm. uh, and that does cost a lot. But y- y- you say it's worth it.
5: What's the alternative? That we, we have we have um, such a. Uh, historic building stock in this country you know most of our building stock is uh, or a lot of our building stock is pre-1919 traditionally constructed buildings we have no alternative we've got to retrofit them and we've got to reuse them um, and and make them fit for the future
1: And I guess it's about finding those solutions. I mean, I saw a robot here, for example, which which goes in and puts insulation into into sort of Victorian buildings and things without, uh, you know, humans having to to try and get into very small spaces. I mean, those sort of solutions are are going to be the way forward, aren't they? Yeah, and I've been,
4: uh, I'm a chartered surveyor. I've been qualified for 48 years and over my career, um, I start off as a property developer as well. And over my career, I've seen how modern technology has improved with wireless, instead of having to Rip up ceilings and rip up floors. Wireless technology has come in, and as we move forward, there are so many more innovative uh, technical solutions that are helping the heritage enabling developers to be able to retrofit buildings much more cheaply and much more simply without causing harm to the fabric than they used to
5: and we're, do- we're doing constantly doing research into finding innovative ways of retrofitting buildings because we've got to find the solutions basically and a lot of a lot of the people here are, are also doing amazing work to to make that possible I
1: love it. I, I will remember you 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 know, you saying, what's the alternative? That's the big takeaway yeah, there from, totally from, from what you've said, I think, because, yeah, we have to protect those buildings and conserve them. And where can people find out more about what Historic England does and uh, how they can get in contact with you?
5: So have a look at our website, www.historicengland.org.uk and it's all there.
0: Constructive Voices live at Footprint Plus.
3: I have Shane and
6: Serena from uh, WSP. I do a lot of the net zero R and D, so my background's in building services, and I'm currently working in our kind of building performance group, doing a lot of kind of energy modelling. But I've been really involved with Serena uh, here, you know, in part of our like net zero journey at WSP, which has been real kind of like development. You know, we made this big commitment kind of a year ago to half the carbon footprint of our designs and advice by 2030. So, like, i spent the last year kind of like running around frantically trying to figure out how that, what that actually meant for us, and like measure, doing a lot of kind of carbon benchmarking and measurements. Um, but yeah, so really, it's really great to just be here, to, uh, you know, Footprint today, and um, you know, actually kind of start meeting people that you know you see a lot of these. I'm seeing seeing a lot of familiar faces on Zoom or whatever, you know, that have cropped up, and it's just great to meet everyone in real life, and
3: yeah, it's good. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to actually be sitting and talking to people again rather than over Zoom. So, yourself, Serena, would you like to uh, sort of come in there?
7: Yeah, so I'm Serena and I'm a facade engineer. So I'm basically doing what Shane was explaining for building services translated to facades. And we worked together to develop a tool that we presented today, which is called DAISY. Um, and it's like a parametric design tool. And so we came today to just give everyone a sneak peek of what we do um, just to decarbonize building in WSP because as Shane said this is a journey that we start like more than a year ago and we're working all together different teams trying to join our forces to yeah decarbonize building so we look forward to do that and today was a good opportunity to stay here and meet all this inspiring people doing the same
3: brilliant yeah I spoke to, to David there just before yourselves he's obviously a director there and uh, he he was telling me about the commitment that the company has made which is fantastic and uh, it's great to to see that you're reinforcing the fact that you are actually committing to it and getting it done. I can see the.
7: We're proving, we proving
3: what he said. Uh, 100%, and I can see the excitement and the, the desire in your eyes to get it done. So uh, tell me a little bit more about uh, did you say Daisy was the name of the. Yeah, the, yeah? so uh, back to yourself there, Serena, if you don't mind just developing maybe a little bit more about that.
7: Yeah, so Daisy is like a parametric design tool, and it combines artificial intelligence, sustainability, and digital. And we are developing this tool because our aim is to decarbonize building and we want to do it in a performance-based approach. So in this way, we can look at the building holistically and we can try to estimate the carbon emissions of a building as well as other performances so that we can evaluate a good set of um, building scenarios so that we can start in the conceptual design and then we can bring forward something which is already optimised at the beginning of the process
3: Excellent stuff and you both work obviously in two different areas of the same field so how, how do you collaborate that within the package of, of Daisy? Yeah it's, I mean it's been
6: a like, you know, it's been a collaborative process from the beginning, really. I mean, that's almost kind of the whole point. We were doing, you know, each of us were developing our own individual kind of carbon assessment tools to, you know, to try and figure out the, this, the carbon footprint of our designs and advice, like I mentioned earlier. And, like, it, it just made so much sense to bring all of that knowledge together. And I think is kind of, like quite unique in that way that we've got experts in all loads of loads of different fields and that we do have that opportunity to kind of bring everything together and I think Daisy is one of the you know the, one of those research projects where we can put it all under one roof kind of thing and like um, and really like harness all of that work that we've done and like bring it together and, it, and then that actually like enables that kind of um, you know the kind of whole building um, kind of design elements. You know, we've all worked together. We actually so that you can actually fully understand all of those different performance metrics, but like combine them together. So you're not, um, you know, you're kind of. Uh, you can iterate the design process much faster, um, and and therefore like test way more designs and do it together rather than having to like maybe wait for another consultant. Um, and you know you might have to wait, a, you know, ask a question, wait a week for the response, and that like really slows down the design process. Whereas if you've already got the database, you know, and you've c- accumulated that all together, then you can just kind of you know you can t- design those tools to really iterate and maximize performance, um, and yeah, just basically harness all that knowledge and work that we've spent over the last kind of year or two
3: excellent stuff really sounds very interesting. So, last question: you are the young people here at this event, you are the youth, you are the future, you are the the, the, the hope of, of, of the universe. And um, I'm obviously exaggerating a little bit there, but um, you know, like you would have grown up with sustainability in your mind, whereas I didn't, like, I'm probably twice both your ages, but uh when i grew up it was much more traditional build there was barely even thought of insulation never mind you know sustainability and you know energy efficiency and all of those good things that we do these days so i suppose i think your perspectives are probably a little bit different than people who are older than you and which is good because that means that it comes natural to you guys whereas we're, we're trying to you know Retrain a lot of people, you know, who, who've done things in a certain way, and it has worked for them economically, and it has worked for them within their business. So I suppose, um, what is your perspective on the future? Are, are you know? I think a lot of positivity. I'm sorry, a lot of positive steps have been made. Um, do you guys think that we're going in the right direction? Do you think that we're going to get to our final target of, uh, you know, carbon net zero, and you know, basically having a, a sustainable. Uh, economy, a sustainable industry and a sustainable planet. So um, that very uh, interesting question goes to you for Serena.
7: Yeah, so as you said like because we are the younger generation um, it's good that we're conscious of what we're doing. I mean more conscious than before and I think we're going in the right direction. I don't want to be disruptive there are a lot of things that we need to fix to go in that direction for sure but I think that the biggest um, point here is that we as consultants, we can make more than just advising and we can really push for, like, circular economy and all those concepts that we are discussing today because um, it's really a collaborative approach, the one we have to push forward. And so we're doing our best to, like work together
6: I think yeah there's two aspects of that obviously we're here today and it's really positive and you know like I you know I've been in I've been in the industry that long kind of five years or so since I started my career and like you know I can I can feel the industry shift over the last like two years you know when we started you know it's a real push to get any kind of sustainability credentials through projects you'd get you know clients and would you know just not want to pay for it and now you know you know some of the developers and you know people we work with you know our clients today you know they're pushing us now. They're like, we we really want all of this stuff in the building. It's got to be that, you know, because it's it's now become a a good financial decision for them. You know, like it's it's uh you know it's a good investment to do this stuff. Um, but I would caveat that that you know you know in the context of the climate emergency, you know we are not doing enough nowhere near quick enough and you know in, in terms of the, ima- the rate of global heating and you know carbon emissions have not st- slowed down um so in the context of that overall kind of global carbon picture you know yeah there's still like a hell of a lot of work left to do um and you know this is the this is the start and there's a lot of reason to be hopeful and promising but you know we've really got to get our move on basically and make sure it's not just a few net zero projects that are like shiny and uh, have all the bells and whistles but it's actually you know complete transformational kind of change across all buildings and that's yeah
3: why we're here I guess <laughs> well done very well said it's very nice to meet both of you and I honestly mean this the construction industry future is bright when we've got very uh clever people with the right mindset coming through, and the next generation behind you again i hope that you will filter that knowledge down to them as well thank you very much
2: from the footprint plus event in brighton uk to the global construction industry this
8: is Constructive voices i'm sophie cole and i'm an architect at mikhail riches and um, we're an architectural practice that specializes in housing design and mixed-use neighborhoods um Our priority is obviously sustainable uh, design. We work with a lot of local authorities, uh, housing providers, some private um, developers um, to hopefully create beautiful places that people love to live in. Um,
1: well, you know what? I'm, I'm looking around the, the walls here of your stand, and, and every bit of it tells a story. And there are yeah. so many stories to yeah. share. I mean, the the, the way that um, the developments are changing because of this drive towards carbon net zero, and obviously addressing the climate yeah. crisis. Yeah. You know, how have you seen things changing over the last few years?
8: Oh, just uh, you know, our clients, our clients are there asking us to do it, which before I think we felt that sometimes you had to push a green agenda. I think thankfully now every, everyone seems to be more on the same page. Um, our Goldsmith Street project in Norwich that um, won the Stirling Award a couple of uh, years ago is uh, 100% social rent for Norwich Council and Passive House. So that's been a real stepping stone for us in terms of learning how to deliver Passive House at scale, at cost. Um, and put us in a really good position for sort of new projects like uh, our clients at the City of York that are pushing that further and wanting to provide zero carbon in operation homes.
1: And I, I see from from there the, the story that you tell on the on the street there. It says we believe that the City of York, we're the first local housing authority to achieve uh, zero carbon housing at scale. I mean, what, what sort of scale are we talking about?
8: So their housing delivery programme at the moment... Um, is i think 600 homes across five years you'd have to check me on those those um so they've got you know a good portfolio of sites that they own and they set up this framework to work with the team to help them deliver that um so that's really great so a couple of our sites have just got into building contracts with them so that's uh, again don't cut quote me on the numbers but about 120 I think new passive house homes have just gone into contract and then we've got a scheme of 85 homes uh, going to planning committee tomorrow so what's great there is that you know we're, we're working at speed to get the houses built so
1: And for you as an architect, how exciting is it to be, I mean, obviously, it's always going to be exciting working on on new ideas and and new structures, but because this is such a big thing for not just the industry, but for the world, how exciting is it as an architect to be a part of the solution, a big part of the solution?
8: Uh, Yeah, really exciting. Uh, Often quite buildering, you know, that sort of old thing of like the more you know and the more problems you hear about the the harder it is and the less you know so I think there's always a bit of that and as an industry I think we're making sort of great moves but uh, I think the embodied carbon um, and how to measure that and to measure that and bring that into the design process really early is really important and then there's more and more conversations I'm having around and particularly here actually is about retrofit and people's existing stock and how they start to manage and tackle that and I think you know that's really that's really interesting we've started doing a bit of retro well we've been doing retrofit for a while we- Park Hill in Sheffield is just about to complete which is a huge retrofit um project of a 1960s brutalist concrete frame building so Um, and so
1: so, I mean the challenge with something like that is I mean okay 1960s building some people love it some people are not so keen but um is there a sense that you need to try and preserve the the heritage in 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 all kinds of buildings whether people would say oh yeah that was a fantastic period for building or not um and obviously you know to retrofit with the way that it needs to be done to be sustainable uh but trying to marry those two things I mean how complicated is that
8: I think it is complicated I think you have to look at every building um, separately I think you know Park Hill um, is listed so obviously that that puts that project in sort of one, one, um, one process but then you look at other buildings and, and you have to do the testing and the modeling to you know see what the retrofit would do how you can retrofit whether it's you know insulating externally internally and um, And then looking at you know the intervention you have to make and the embodied carbon and putting that into the whole life carbon costing because it's not you know obviously it's great to retain as much as you possibly can but you it's not as simple necessary as saying everything has to retain because in terms of carbon sometimes yeah. that's not got, the it's right be, route, it's got to be
1: realistic right? hasn't yeah. it you know with the with the aims that we're we're working towards and i mean how important are um sort of finding new materials and and sort of learning about the new materials that are coming through to this process
8: um yeah really important again lots more materials i think coming to to the market yeah
1: and, I, I mean that, i mean that creates a challenge though for you because you know you you will have um, come through your your career as an architect based on certain materials and you know some of those are not going to be popular and some other materials that perhaps we don't even know about yet are going to be the yeah. ones that we are going to need to work with in the future
8: yeah are you, and are you talking about the sort of Im- the products that are developing to lower embodied carbon and sure yeah that absolutely sort of thing? yeah but you're i think as an architect you're always always learning that it's part of your profession to like continually um learn and uh yeah we sort of try and stay on top of that as best we can this is Constructive
9: voices so i'm steve Hearn, i'm one of the founding directors of Midgroup, a uh, main contractor principal contractor with a bias towards off-site modern methods of construction and obviously context of today's conversation sustainable construction so timber-led building
3: yeah, I heard some of your talk there. It was very interesting. Um, I come from a carpentry background, so I'm I'm very interested in the the timber side of things. So um, there's certainly a lot of transition happening in construction in general. And um, is that is that something you're going to do towards mass uh, timber construction? Is that is that something that you're driving towards, or, or and, and where do you see that type of construction in terms of the levels it's going to go to? So
9: for us as a business. Uh we want to do more of it it's we've proven with the, build, the building that we're about to hand over that it works it can work it does work there's no there's no need to be scared of it and actually we just need to build that momentum and sort of do more of it but i think there's an industry we have got to push forward with it take the lessons we've learned some of the panel discussion today was about sharing information and about people seeing and believing it and i think for our business perspective yeah, we want to be at the forefront of that. We want to push that forward. We want to be part of that conversation because you know we've seen the result and we we believe it. So,
3: yeah, great to hear a company of your size having that interest in, in this type of thing. So, being at an event like Footprint Plus, I suppose, has probably given you the opportunity to meet like-minded people um, and you know collaborate. Uh, hopefully, in the future, with with, with similar uh, again-minded people. Uh, how has it been to be under one roof with so many? Kind of people with with a similar drive, and have you have you made good connections here?
9: I think what's what's quite interesting of this is there's a different feel. Uh, there are numerous trade events and trade shows, and they all feel a little bit the same. There's a, there's a lightness of atmosphere here. There's a lightness of emo- almost a sort of emotional response, and it it feels quite refreshing. Uh, everybody you're talking to is kind of like is positive and upbeat and wants to do more and that's great I think the event seems to be very successful so and yeah certainly it's easy to talk to people bump into people when you're all on the same page
3: yeah and I think you know coming to an event like this it's done in kind of an informal way so you're kind of able to discuss it rather than sitting down in and you kind of it breaks barriers and opens up sort of easier conversations um, so final question because I know you're a busy man and um, going forwards are, are, are we doing enough in the construction industry um, and what's your plans to make sure that your company can push on and, and make sure that you're at the forefront?
9: Um, I think the answer is probably not doing enough, there's more we can do but we are constrained by legislation and the market conditions. We need the government to support, the industry needs the government support it's been alluded to in conversations today that if we can start to unlock some of these legislative issues and we can make huge inroads into it uh, really quite quickly because the appetite's there the the evidence is there the proof's there it's it's getting through the sort of political landscape that's more challenging so
3: uh, so yeah that's where we need to push things on good stuff David, thank you very much for your time
2: and uh, best luck in the future
0: constructive voices live at footprint plus
2: my name's paul lincoln i work for the landscape institute and i edit a magazine called landscape which is the institute's quarterly journal so paul tell me about the institute Uh, we are the institute representing landscape architects in the uk so we've got about six thousand members who are either landscape designers landscape managers and landscape planners or students
1: and obviously this is an inaugural event for footprint plus lots of people here why was it important for you to be here
2: well we're really pleased to be here i mean it's very exciting to have a brand new event to to come to not least after two or three years of being locked down um and landscape architecture is absolutely at the heart of sustainable development. Um, how you treat the landscape, how you manage it, um, whether or not you invest in green infrastructure or grey infrastructure is really at the heart of the debate. Interestingly, the government's chief planner was speaking about an hour ago, Joanna Averley, and she... Unprompted, just made a very clear statement about the value and role of landscape uh, as part of the planning process and particularly in terms of new housing developments. Um, we uh are taking part, or my my, my chief executive is chairing a session tomorrow looking at embedded, well, embodied carbon. Uh, This is a topic, uh, a lot of people are talking about this here, but on the whole people discuss embodied carbon in terms of new buildings or I was just listening to a talk a few minutes ago about do you recycle steel do you manufacture steel in a low carbon way Um, I think it's really helpful to turn the spotlight onto what is um, a landscape in which you can analyse the extent to to which um, carbon is how embodied it is and what decisions you have to make I mean a good example of this is you can make a decision between investing in say a hard landscape using a lot of concrete and cement or a green landscape and particularly a permeable landscape it's really fascinating. Many local authorities, and in fact I, I noticed this on the way here, are, are replacing part of the highway with sustainable drainage systems. So instead of um, concrete drains taking the waste somewhere else, you've got rain falling into the soil, into the ground, but you make room for that by planting trees, by maybe wildflower planting. Um, so there's a very interesting move, and I would say it particularly possibly linked to the pandemic in which people suddenly realized that green places were, were places of salvation in a way so partly um, moved along by that there's a really very interesting new consideration of the role of landscape architecture in terms of creating a resilient uh, environments that can come some way to tackling climate emergency
1: yeah, I, th- I think it's interesting that you mention how people's views have changed because we all know those those city centres, town centres you drive in, and it, it's you know it's something of a concrete jungle. Yeah, and yeah. I think to some extent people have been okay with that a little bit. You know, they've yeah, had a yeah. window box and they thought, well, I'm fine. I've got a little bit of a plant going on there. That's that's all right. But I think the pandemic has highlighted that that people want more than that. And and actually, I mean, I've noticed when I drive into somewhere and there's construction going on, I'll notice that they've cut down a load of trees, and I'll also notice that You know where they're creating a landscaped area that perhaps they wouldn't have done a few years
2: ago. Sure, I think that's right and interestingly I've just thought of two schemes. Uh, One of them is there's been a major rearrangement of the centre of Sheffield. Sheffield happens to have um, a a very large uh, landscape architecture department in its university and part of, I think possibly under its influence, a lot of the grey areas of the centre of post-war Sheffield have been green. But equally there's a major scheme here going right through the centre of Brighton which was only completed about a year ago it's a 10-year scheme which has really been to completely change the landscape of central Brighton it's the part running parallel to the sea so not quite going uh, but you have to pass through from the railway station and what because I did an article on that for our magazine and what was fascinating is it's had um, party support Green Party Labour Party Conservative Party support over a 10-year development period and the thing about landscape is it does it involve serious investment and serious time so to be able to um champion the scheme like the one in the heart of brighton is, is i think they're useful
1: so obviously a lot of people are talking to you at this event we've got you know we're halfway well kind of on the second day of this event yeah, so yeah. you know plenty more people coming through over the next few days people have spoken to you already over the first day and a half what are they saying to you and what are they learning from you about how we move all this forward
2: um, i think what people are saying is 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 that there's I, I think there's quite i think there's a, there's a big gulf between motivation and implementation so i think it's fair to say that an, that an exhibition and conference which this is clearly doing both like this shows that there is a huge interest in addressing climate emergency... But it's not necessarily obvious to many practitioners, and this is essentially an event for people who are in the business of designing or managing, that it is not necessarily obvious either how you make change, or perhaps most importantly, how you persuade your client to commission change. Because clearly there there is, within the construction industry, there is a chain of command that goes through developer, commissioner, practitioner, and getting everyone to appreciate the changes which can be made and then getting people to appreciate the changes that should be made um, is very difficult. But on the other hand hopefully a conversation which is, it's not started here it's been going on for 10 years, but hopefully a conversation which is being accelerated by this event uh, will carry on. What I would say is that there is a great deal, it's fair to say there has always been a lot of interest in the relationship between landscape and architecture and landscape architecture, and what it means to bring nature into the city there 's also quite recently been a lot of publicity around what does it mean to rewild agricultural settings and every now and then i 'm now seeing a discussion on well what would it mean to rewild an urban setting there 's also I think a fascinating debate because so much of the debate is around Recycling of buildings and the proper use of space. I think there's also a very interesting debate not only about what you do to the buildings but what you do to the spaces around them. Many of which, perhaps in the post war generation of housing developments, have often been quite empty green spaces. And the green space is not necessarily a biodiverse space, and yet you can then have a conversation um, about do you build allotments. Or do you have a much more biodiverse planting scheme than, say... So there's. I I would say that the the overall picture now is confusing, but in a useful way. I mean, being confused is not necessarily a bad thing if it leads them to to action and thought. So I think I'm I'm really happy that we're at this event. Um, Our our big um, conversation is tomorrow afternoon, so I hope people listening to this broadcast will come along tomorrow afternoon because we've got a bunch of very interesting speakers and specifically i am very keen that we i think it's fair to say there's been a lot of work being done on embodied carbon within buildings Uh, there's been a lot of work being done by organizations like like the architect's journal with their retrofit first campaign and i think it would be really useful now to um build on if that's the right word follow from that work in terms of how do you translate that into landscape architecture and it may not be obvious what the links are and so it's about partly learning from that quite recent tradition Uh, we are publishing i will plug a paper we're publishing a paper in about six weeks time looking specifically at um, embodied carbon in the landscape and that will be um, guidance but also a paper that debates how best to do this Um, that paper will be published for our members, who will then be able to use that to, to um, advocate for addressing the issue for for their clients. So I think that I think that is part of a very useful. And I also say that we will be publishing a special edition of the magazine in November, uh, which looks at materials and looks at. For me, I think it's fascinating. Looks at the whole issue of specification because. You know, for every single thing that you design, you have a choice, you know, which cobble, uh, which paving slab, which tree, um, What what is the impact of each of those elements, where has it been sourced from, what was the supply chain, to what extent, you know. Are you properly analysing issues around modern slavery? You know, there's a whole collection of issues. Um, so I think being able to look in some detail around procurement and specification is for me a really important issue that we, we will be doing a load more work on uh, over the next couple of months. And of course, the, the the consumer movement
1: behind this is is key because developers, town planners, whoever's looking at this, will be looking on return not investment as always. But actually, if consumers are pushing for better, greener spaces, it makes a business case for uh, in, ensuring this. I
2: think that's a really interesting point. And I've got, I've got very clear evidence for this, because um, I worked oh, quite a long time ago for a housing association. And what they would normally do when promoting their new development, they always had like a married couple <laughs> drinking wine on the balcony, over, watching the sunset over Stratford in, in this case. Um, if you look at the hoardings and the marketing for organisations like Linley, for example which has nearly completed the, the Elephant Park development in South London there is a huge focus on green infrastructure on investing in the and also it's really interesting investing in public parks investing in private parks investing in gardens balconies sometimes green walls and often green roofs so over that period I would say over a period of about 20 years just my own observation is there's a realisation and this was before the pandemic you know because something like Elephant Park has been in the pipeline for for a decade so over this period there's been this significant realisation by developers that investing in landscape is a good investment um, I think the pandemic has then accelerated things um, I think there was a notion that the whole of say London was about to move out that clearly hasn't happened I'm pleased to say, but clearly people do want benign environments and some of that is about access to shopping and schools but a very major part of that is, is what space do I have for myself and my family how near is it, how easy can I walk to it and what is the quality? I think the issue of what is the quality of that space, and also one thing I think is increasingly interesting is the way it, you might want to link one park with with, with a tree-lined street, or, or you know, to create networks which are not only useful to nature, but in a way create. It'd be, you know, it's really nice if you can walk to the station along a green route. Now that's not going to happen if it isn't planned. Um, but on the other hand, it can be planned, and that doesn't seem to me too much to ask.
1: Well I think it's a fascinating conversation and one which is is at the very heart of of everything that we're doing here at Footprint Plus where can people find out more about uh, your organisation?
2: Landscapeinstitute.org and the magazine which is called Landscape if you simply go into the issue platform uh, you're very welcome to view it online free of charge Uh, you just look for Landscape Institute and the last edition was on diversity in landscape who gets to design landscape what's it for and the one that's going to press um later this week is on beauty and planning which is a subject which has already been touched on but by, 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 by um the government's director of planning so i think it, it you know it couldn't be more more topical
10: constructive voices i'm seb uh, my practice we're structural engineers structural civil geotechnical engineers 60 odd in the uk uh, partly based in brighton and then we've got a business in serbia and in india as well and we yes yeah, structural civil geotechnical engineering
3: Excellent stuff. A bit like constructive voices. You are global. You've got global uh, recognition, which is excellent. Um, so I heard a little little bit of your your, uh, your your talk there today. Really interesting stuff. Would you like to just develop uh, a little bit about what you spoke about today?
10: Sure. So we we were talking about retrofit and how we uh, make retrofit and an easier thing for developers and clients to do. The retro- retrofit, reusing buildings is not a new thing. It's been done forever, and buildings continually be are, are reinvented and reused and repurposed. Um, we're in a point in time, perhaps over the next last 20 or 30 years, where the sort of financial incentives and also the fashion is to knock down and rebuild a lot. Um, when you not, when you rebuild a building and build a new one, the carbon emissions. Um, Are humongous they're massive even if you rebuild a very efficient new building um, to to sort of earn that carbon back through efficient running of the building um, takes well over the lifetime of the building to do so where it is where buildings already exist um, we need to find ways to reuse and repurpose them And, and the talk today was taking uh, us through quite an extreme example of a building in Croydon called Zodiac Court which has been disused for 30 years um, and uh, we are reusing it. Excellent stuff and do you think is there enough
3: of a drive within the industry and from government and institutional level towards this uh, train of thought um, or is there still the concept there of knock and rebuild or are we beginning to see more more of the thought process of using existing buildings and repurposing?
10: This is a massive generalisation, but I think most people are petrified and worried about climate change on a personal level. They worry about it, they read it in the news, they're worried for their kids. Um, Then we all have jobs, and in our world it's property construction, and we work within the constraints and the incentives of those jobs, whatever you do. I, so I don't believe people sit at home and worry about climate change and then consciously go in and say, hey, it's a really, really good idea to add to climate change by building a brand-new, tall, glass, steel or concrete building. I, you know, I, I don't think we do that. But I do think um, we, the, 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 the legislative environment, the money, the tax, uh, and also our experience over the last 20 or 25 years tends to push us towards that on a personal level i I did a sustainability course 22 years ago leadership and sustainable development masters and the the sea change I've seen in behaviors has come around the, the pandemic and I don't know if that's a reflective thing people have gone hang on we're quite vulnerable or what but it, there is a sea change in attitudes I think there's a lot of stuff that if it shifted would um, enable people to enact their personal views. So, for example, a lot of people talk about uh, VAT on reused buildings, as a, where there isn't any VAT on new build. Um, and there's a plethora of other incentives that drive people, or make it make it harder for people to do what they think is the right thing to do, or make it easier for them to do what the wrong thing is. Let's say. So, I, I think actually broadly speaking the construction and property industry want to do the right thing on a personal level and i think it it is it is too difficult at the moment for people to make the easy to make the obvious choices Uh, what steve was talking about is just do the right thing make it simple but he's he's a pretty unique chap and he's got a lot of drive behind him Um, and actually we do need to make it easier for people to make the right choices that deals with the climate emergency that we have
3: Are we going in the right direction? Do do you, like you said that like 22 years ago, you did a course and you said that you did see a change during the pandemic, which is, you know, pretty much very recent times. I personally am beginning beginning to see a little bit of action, whereas previously it was a lot of talk. Have we started to make the right steps? Are we going
10: in the right direction? I think that, let's be positive, the good thing is we're talking. Um, We're at this conference, it's fantastic, it's been organised, long may it last. I hope it grows and I hope it influences. The word of warning is... My grandfather wrote a book in the 1970s called Small is Beautiful and talked about environmental economics and was very clear in the choices we needed to make and where we needed to go with economics, with energy, with land, with water. That was in the 1970s. Um, we're now in 2022, um, so we're having a conversation, but let's not get too excited because we're talking about things like net zero, which is really a veil for people to hide behind when they're still doing predominantly the same thing that they did yesterday. So 10 years ago, they're building a steel building with glass on it. Now we say, net, now we say oh, we're worried about carbon. They build the same building and they say net zero. Um, that's still emitting humongous amounts of carbon into the atmosphere. It's adding to climate change. And, and th- th- those people doing this, including us, we're not bad people, but we have to have these honest conversations um, because if we don't, if we're not honest. Then we don't actually have the difficult conversations about where we can change things. Um, so, in answer to your question, I think great that we're talking long way at last. Let the conversations be honest and not back slapping because the back slapping doesn't help. Um, it needs to be collaborative. This isn't a. This isn't a sort of commercial benefit conversation where, hey, we do net zero buildings, they don't. That's irrelevant. It's got to be collaboration between firms and businesses that might have previously thought they were competing. Um, we need to share ideas. We need to be open source about it. So great. I think that perhaps the wind has changed. Whether we've got the sales up or not, I don't know.
3: So thank you very much for your time. Very honest Uh Summarization there at the very end and best of luck in the future. Thanks.
1: And that's all for this episode of Constructive Voices. Please take a moment to share it with others who may find it interesting. Follow or subscribe to get the latest episodes automatically on your favourite podcast app and rate and review the podcast if you can. You can also listen to the latest episode by saying, Alexa, play Constructive Voices podcast.
8: Here's Constructive Voices. Here's the latest episode.
1: And on our website where there's lots more information too. That's Constructive. Dash -voices.com. Don't forget the dash. Until next time, thanks for listening. You're really helping us build something.